Amen. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. Father, I just pray uh, this morning that uh, for each and every one of us, you help us create and nurture a desire for you, a deep passion, a, a deep want for you to continue to grow closer to you on a daily basis, Father. Father, I just thank you for this tremendous opportunity that we have to gather together um, as a body of believers. And Father, I just pray that you fill me with your words. You give me the words to speak. Father, I pray that you be with your children this morning. You give them uh, open ears, open minds, open hearts, and open eyes to your word. And that collectively, together as a church, we can grow closer to you, Father. And uh, at the same time, we can then expand your coming kingdom and bring in as many people possible into the hope, the, the promise that, that is associated with your kingdom. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are just going to jump right into it uh, this morning. Today, we are continuing our series on the book of Romans, the foundation of our faith. And today, we're covering Romans chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 5. And this is our seventh week in this series. It's flown by for me. Uh, most series that we do here at uh, the church, uh, typically less than seven weeks. Uh, but it feels like we are just getting started uh, with this series. I hope that same sentiment holds true for you all, and you're not thinking it's only the seventh uh, week. Uh, no, but for me, it seems like it's been flying by, um, and so we're continuing picking up in Romans chapter four uh, this morning, um, and, and throughout this series sometime, we will be taking a break somewhere near uh, the middle of the series, uh, so there's light at the end of the tunnel for those of you guys who are thinking... Only week seven. <laughs> uh, but thus far, uh, we've been talking about Romans, uh, the first couple chapters. Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. It was a church that consisted of both Jewish and Gentile believers. Paul, he wanted to go visit the church at Rome, visit them in person. Uh, in the meantime, uh, he wasn't able to do that, or he had other priorities. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, but instead, he was going to write a letter to the church at Rome, and he wanted to go to, to Rome to preach the gospel gospel message to them. And so here in this letter, Paul is presenting the gospel message to this church at Rome to both the Jewish and the Gentile or, or people who are not Jewish uh, believers. Last week, as we've been uh, going through the book of Romans, we introduced Abraham into our discussion, and we uh, dealt pretty extensively with Abraham last week, and we saw that uh, Abraham, he was justified by the faith that he had in God, that, that he believed that God would grant him a child in his old age. And today, we, we continue along these same sort of lines as we pick up in Romans chapter 4, verse 13. And so Paul writes in Romans chapter 4, verse 13, and he says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For, it is the, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. 
As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations and the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So let's uh, break this down for a minute here. So here God made a promise to Abraham, uh, starting in Genesis chapter 12, where if Abraham would go, would, he would leave his country to a land that God would show him. God told him, God assured him that he would make him into a great nation. And that through Abraham, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. God then later, God kind of continues this covenant, this promise that, that he establishes with Abraham, that this covenant continues along the next few chapters. And in chapter 13, the next chapter, God reveals that after he and Lot separate, that all the land that he sees, so, so to the north, to the east, to the south, to the west, all this land that Abraham sees, God says that he will give it to him and his offspring. And not only would God give him all of this land that he could see as far as his eye could see from the north, the east, the south, and the west, but he would give it to him forever. His people would inherit this land for all of eternity. Now, how in the world is Abraham's offspring going, going to inherit a land forever? Well, I think that is uh, fulfilled through the promise of the kingdom as we shall inherit the land for all of eternity. Our hope is not just floating in the sky. We are going to inherit the land forever. Where Jesus right now, he, he is seated at the right hand of God. And one day, we don't know when that day is coming. A lot of people think uh, that day is near, um, but nobody knows the day nor hour. But a day is coming. I can assure you that a day is coming where Jesus is going to descend from heaven to earth. And there's going to be this process where Jesus establishes the kingdom here on earth. In the fulfillment of this kingdom, we are going to inherit the land for all of eternity. And so God made this promise. It's a wonderful promise. And God made this promise to Abraham not because he was obedient to the law. As remember, as we talked about uh, last week, the law didn't come around uh, for another 500 years after Abraham. So God didn't, didn't, God didn't uh, give this great promise to Abraham because he was obedient to the law of Moses, something the Jews were, were very passionate about. But God made this promise to Abraham because of his faith, because he had a belief in God. And that belief in God, then uh, God established this promise, this covenant with Abraham. And so the Jews, they're, they're still so hung up on the law. And, and we can have sympathy for the Jews. For thousands of years, they, they, they were told to fulfill the law to a T. We have all these do's and don'ts, and, and that fits my style. I'm, I'm a very black and white guy. Do this, don't do this, do this, and don't do this. That, that fits very well uh, with my lifestyle, very black and white lifestyle. And, and the Jews, they, they were hung up on this after thousands of years living in the system of the law. But Paul kind of, not, not Paul, uh, Paul talks about it, but, but through Jesus, everything changes. And Paul talks about this change through Jesus. As Paul tells them, it is not because of the law this promise was made. It's not because of the law that we have a right relationship with God. In verse uh, 16, we see that the promise is dependent of two things. We see that the promise is dependent first, in verse 16, as it says, that is why it depends on faith. So it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. 
And so this promise was dependent on faith and grace. Abraham accepted the free grace of God, the, the undeserved favor, something he didn't deserve through his faith. He's not accepting this great promise uh, given to God freely through his hard work, for then it would not be free. William uh, Barclay in his commentary on Romans contrasted two viewpoints of this discussion. Uh, if you pull up that slide, Ben, uh, for me. On one hand, we have Paul's viewpoint of this situation. And on the other hand, we have, uh, again, this hypothetical Jew that Paul seems to continue in discussion with. We've seen this uh, pretty frequently uh, throughout the first few chapters of Romans, where he seems to be addressing this hypothetical Jew who was big and his circumcision big into the law and so forth. And so on Paul side, Paul's perspective of the situation, there's God's promise, a promise essentially a, a blessing that, that uh, through Abraham, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed and that uh, God would bless Abraham's offspring, that his offspring would inherit the land for all of eternity. And so there's a promise and that promise then leads to faith. We put our faith, we put our belief in God that what he says is true and who he claims to be is true. If God tells us that we will inherit the land for all of eternity, then guess what? It is going to happen. That, that is faith, being certain of something that we cannot see at this present time. And so there's God's promise, which leads to faith, and that faith then leads to God's grace. Since we accept this promise through our faith, that results in God's grace. For we did absolutely nothing to deserve this promise. We did absolutely nothing to be a part of a kingdom where everything wrong with this world would be made right, where we could inherit a, a piece of land for all of eternity. We can work with our hands and feet and play and, and have fun and worship our God, and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the, the former things will have passed away. We did not deserve that. But all we have to do to, to have access to this eternal life is put our faith in God and the promises that he made to us. And so that, that, that's where grace enters the picture. We, we didn't deserve this. We don't do anything to deserve this. Instead, God gives it out of the goodness of his heart. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. I think someone needs to hear that this morning, that, that God loves you so much that he established this promise with you, so that he could fellowship with you for all of eternity. And there was a very, very steep price to make this promise possible, the, the, the sacrifice of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. And so this is kind of Paul's perspective on the situation. God's promise leads to our faith, and our faith uh, leads to God's grace, because we, we don't deserve any of this. On this uh, hypothetical uh, Jew side, there is the law. And the law shows us where we are wrong. However, uh, what the law doesn't do is it doesn't help us avoid wrong. In fact, nobody can perfectly fulfill the law. Because nobody can perfectly fulfill the law, that then introduces uh, transgression or sin into the picture. The law sheds light on our fallen nature of mankind that all have fallen short uh, of the glory of God. All have sin. We all have sin in our life. And because of this, that then leads to wrath. 
As God is a God of justice, so we will reap our consequences with the wrath of God. And so this is kind of uh, the, the hypothetical Jew that Paul is discussing with here in chapter four. This is kind of their viewpoint that Paul is essentially rebutting here in chapter four. Now, I will say that we just can't disregard the law. It still plays an important role in all of this. The, the law shows us that we are at fault and that we need a savior. Without the law, we, we would have no knowledge of our sin. But because of the law, because of our awareness of our fallen nature, we know that we need a savior. We need a promise. We need access to God's grace. The law opens our eyes to this. And so uh, uh, what you can almost do is you can almost stack uh, the hypothetical Jews perspective on top of Paul's perspective, where through the law, we, we, we all come to this realization that we have sin in our life. And if we don't address the sin in our life, then we will uh, reap the, the, the consequences of that sin. We will see God's wrath uh, firsthand. However, God made a promise to us. And all we have to do, it's a wonderful promise that, that frees us from this wrath, that grants us eternal life. All we have to do is put our faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. And through that, we, we see the wonders of God's grace that he has for each and every one of us. And so that's kind of what, what Paul here is discussing in uh, chapter 4, verses uh, 13 through 17, kind of a, a larger chunk that we just read through, that, that this is all through faith. And through this faith, through, through God's promise, we put our faith in the promise, and, and that faith leads to God's grace. For this promise that God established with Abraham, it depends on faith, and it rests on grace. So as we continue here in this letter, verse 18, Paul writes, In hope, and talking about Abraham, in hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness." So we backtrack in verse 18. Uh, Paul writes an uh, English translation of what he wrote, in hope he believed against hope. It's kind of a, a confusing uh, line there. Uh, many of your guys' translations, if you're reading on your own Bibles, your own translations, may read uh, slightly different. Many translations read against all hope, or even when there was no reason for hope, or when it all seemed hopeless, or when there was nothing left to hope for. So essentially what, what Paul is saying here, that in the midst uh, of a Abraham being an old man and he didn't have any children, but God promises that, that he would have, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the sky. There is zero reason for hope here. There is zero reason for hope for Abraham. He is approaching a hundred years old. He has zero children with, with his wife, Sarah, who, who isn't much uh, younger than him. And, and, and why put your hope and someone telling you that your offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky when, uh, when he was approaching 100 years old. It, it does not make sense. But God made a promise to Abraham that he would be a father of many nations. And against all hope, 
Abraham eventually placed his faith in God. Uh, if we were to read through uh, the story of Abraham, we see that he tries to take matters into his own hands by sleeping with Sarah's servant, something that Sarah, his wife, told him to do. He, he, we, if we continue the story, we, we see that he righted his path and he put his faith back in God. But it's a good reminder for us uh, that this great hero of our faith, Abraham, the father of our faith, had a few, not just one, not just two, but a few demonstrations of a lack of faith that is recorded in scriptures. I'm sure there, there's many other instances throughout Abraham's life where he had a lack of faith. But just recorded in the scriptures alone, we, we can point to three different instances where Abraham had a a lack of faith in God. Twice, uh, this, this uh, boggles my mind, not once, but twice, Abraham lied about his wife being his sister. It was like a little white lie uh, because they were uh, half siblings. They shared the same father, but they had different mothers. And uh, the apple didn't fall uh, far from the tree uh, because his child uh, did the same thing, lying about uh, his uh, wife being his sister because they were scared. They, they were scared they had a beautiful wife and they were entering a new territory and they didn't want uh, to have to pay the consequences of being married to a beautiful wife for they, they thought that someone would try to kill them and take uh, their wife from them. So twice Abraham lied about uh, his wife, Sarah, being his sister, a little white half lie there. And then in the story of Abraham having children, Abraham lacked faith as he tried to sleep, or he didn't try, he, he did sleep with Hagar uh, for he had a moment of weakness and wanted to have a child. And he listened to his wife instead of God. Take note of that, men. Uh, no, that's bad. Uh, if anyone uh, gives you a command or words of advice that go contrary to the word of God, then we don't follow their words of advice 100% of the time, whether it's your wife or not, or your husband, whatever the case may be. But after this temporary, I digress, but after uh, this temporary moment of weakness, Abraham placed his faith back in God when he was approaching 100 years old and still childless with his wife. And he was fully convinced. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what Paul stated in verse 17. As it's written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And so Abraham knew for certain, in verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And so even though Abraham was approaching 100 years and he had a lack of faith a couple times throughout his life, at this point in time, he was fully convinced that God would grant Abraham what God promised to him, that he could, uh, quote, give life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So even though he didn't have a son at that point in time, Abraham was fully convinced that he could call into existence the son of his. And also that, that later on that, uh, that God would raise his son Isaac from death. He was fully convinced of this. Uh, another really interesting story of Abraham. But as we continue in verse 23, Paul writes, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, for you and I. It will be counted to us who believe in him, that's God, who raised uh, from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. 
And so the rabbis, uh, the, the Jewish teachers of the time, they had a saying, what is written of Abraham is written also of his children. And so essentially any promise that God established with Abraham, he was also establishing with his offspring. And, and the Jews, they, they viewed themselves, they, they were the, the physical offspring of Abraham. But uh, as we'll see, that, that everyone is a part of this uh, family, and not, not just for those, as he mentioned earlier in this chapter, not just for those who are supporters of the law, but, but it's open for everyone. Anyone who has belief in God and, and in his son, Jesus Christ, we are that offspring. We are heirs of the promise. We are partakers of the promise that God established with Abraham. So here Paul alludes to this same notion that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. And likewise, it is counted as righteousness to us when we have faith in God. So if we put our faith in God, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, then we are righteous in his eyes, just like our forefather Abraham. And so to Abraham, it was counted as righteousness, his faith, and we too, it can be counted to us as righteousness. We, we can be viewed as righteous in the eyes of God simply because we have faith in him. And so as we continue here, uh, we'll, we'll start, uh, we're just gonna read the first five verses of chapter five this morning. Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice and hope of the glory of God. And so we have been justified by our faith. We have already been established as righteous in the eyes of God. This takes place when we place our faith in God, the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And one of the many great blessings of this justification that we receive is that we now have peace with God. We have peace with God. Where, where, where previously our broken relationship with God has been reconciled, and now we have peace with God if we place our faith in him and in his son, Jesus Christ. So no longer is our relationship with God in jeopardy. No longer do we have to fear God's wrath. For God is not going to show his wrath upon the people that he is at peace with. And if we place our faith in him, then we today, we have access to this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we have to remember, it's all through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that, that we can have this peace with God. And because of our peace that we have with God, we have reason to rejoice we can rejoice in the present, knowing that we have been made right in the eyes of God, that the creator of the heavens and the earth views you as righteous. No longer does he view you as a poor little sinner, but now he views you as righteous, someone who is right in the eyes of God. And so we can rejoice in that. We can rejoice in the present. We can also rejoice in the hope of the future, that one day we will inherit the land forever. We will be with God. God will be with his people. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things will have passed away. The, the, the creation will be restored to its former perfection. 
That, that gives us reason to rejoice in the promises that God has established with us. And so be filled with joy in your life. And Paul continues along the, the same lines in verse 3. And not only that, but we, re, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who or which has been given to us. So not only can we rejoice in our present relationship with God and rejoice in our hope of inheriting the land for all of eternity, Paul says we can also rejoice in our sufferings. Those are strange words uh, to be said to, to rejoice in our sufferings. How, how is that possible? How can Paul say that we can rejoice in our sufferings? And Paul kind of walks us through his reasoning. We rejoice, or uh, that same Greek word can be uh, translated as boast or glory. So we boast, we glory, and or we, we rejoice in our sufferings. Our sufferings can be physical, they could be mental, they can be emotional or spiritual. Whether we uh, suffer the loss of a loved one, whether we suffer from fail, uh, frail and broken bodies or suffer through economic hardship, we, we all suffer. It's not a matter, of, uh, a matter of if, it's a matter of when we suffer. And when we suffer, that then produces endurance. And more than, than just endurance, uh, the Bible since lexicon defines uh, this word as the power to withstand hardship or stress. So when suffering comes our way, we're not just lying down and letting our suffering trample us over uh, as a doormat. Instead, we, we are standing firm through whatever hardship life may throw at us. I'm reminded of Job when he suffered tremendously. He took the high road. He physically, physically, after he, he endured all the serving, physically, he bowed his knee and worshiped to his heavenly father. But figuratively speaking, he stood firm in his faith. He had endurance through his suffering. Nowhere in the Bible uh, does it promise Christians that we'll be free from suffering. No, we will suffer. Sometimes we will suffer for no reason other than the fact that we are Christians. We will suffer, and it's heartbreaking. But our suffering produces endurance. And that endurance then produces character. This is pretty cool. I learned uh, through Barclay's uh, commentary that the Greek word is dokami, and it is used of metal, which has been passed through the fire so that everything uh, base has been purged of it, or all the imp impurities has been purged out of this metal. And so that same word, when suffering is met with endurance, out of the battle, we emerge stronger, pure, better, and nearer to God very much like the process of metal passing through the fire. I, I find that so cool. I find the, the imagery there uh, uh, of the metal passing through the fire and being purified through this, this endurance that, that we experience in our suffering, very similar to that same process of metal passing through the fire. We, we, we are strengthened in our faith. We, we, we are drawing closer to God through our endurance. And, and that's the character that we are talking about. And then that character then produces hope. That faithful character in us produces hope. In the midst of the suffering we face, we stand strong, we emerge from it closer to God, and we place our hope in God. Two people can be struck with the same exact crisis, but they can respond totally different 
and that can lead to two totally different outcomes. If we let ourselves become weak in our suffering and let whatever circumstance we are facing have victory over us, then that leads to anguish and despair. If we respond to our crisis and to our suffering with endurance, standing strong, which leads to character, which helps us grow stronger and grow closer to God, that leads to the hope that we have in God. So the same circumstances, two responses, two totally, totally different outcomes. So I want to encourage you all, when you inevitably suffer, stay strong in your hope of God, in your hope of a better age, a never-ending age, where everything wrong with this world will be made right. And then lastly, in the section in verse 5, Paul tells us that we are filled with God's love through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has been given to us freely, and we are filled with it. If you have a living and active faith in God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and associated with the waters of baptism, then you have God's Spirit living within you. And through this process, God's love is poured out into our hearts. How awesome is that? And so as we wrap up here this morning, it's imperative that you understand that you have been justified by grace through your faith. That is who you are. You are righteous. This has been the, the bulk of our conversation the past two weeks, as this is exactly what happened with Abraham he had a faith in God, and that faith was counted to him as righteousness. And because of this righteousness, Abraham would be an heir of all these things that God is promising to him, things that he did not deserve at all. And so Abraham is able to witness the grace of God. And we too, through our faith, we can be counted as righteous in the eyes of God, something that you and I certainly do not deserve, but something that God freely gives us. On my way to church this morning, I heard a new song, or at least new to me, called Take You at Your Word. And I want to read uh, the chorus to you all this morning. The chorus reads, I'll take you at your word. If you said it, I'll believe it. I've seen how good it works. If you start it, you'll complete it. I'll take you at your word. God made a promise to Abraham that he and its offspring would inherit the land for all of eternity. And Abraham, he took God at his word. He put his faith in God. And because of that faith, he is counted as righteous. And as for me, I'm going to take God at his word. That I will inherit the coming kingdom for all of eternity. It's my hope and prayer this morning that you too will take God at his word when he says that you will be righteous if you place your faith in him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your great promises that you established with Abraham and now we can have access to that same promise. Father, I just pray that you help each and every one of us overcome any doubt that we may have about you or your son or the scriptures that you provide for us. 
And Father, I just pray that ultimately we place our faith in you, that we place our hope in you, that we can rejoice in all circumstances of life, whether that be times of celebration or times of suffering. And so, Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, we cannot wait to spend an eternity with you in your coming kingdom when we can see you face to face. Father, it's in your son's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.